0: We're wrapping up a series today called Emotional Health. Uh, Over the last several weeks, and I'd encourage you, if you missed any of these weeks, go back and check these out because uh, we've dealt with a lot of things. And the idea of this series has been this. You can't grow spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. We have to deal with our emotions in a healthy way if we're going to continue to grow spiritually. And so we've looked at uh, a lot of different things that get lodged in our hearts over the last several weeks. We've talked about um, guilt. How do we overcome that? We've talked about anger, greed, jealousy, pride, and uh, all these things. And so today I want to talk to you about how to be happy. Specifically, I want to tell you what makes you happy. You're like, well, that's a little offensive. Uh, Maybe, but here's the reality. Uh, I know every time that you open up a magazine, every time that you go on the internet, every time that you watch TV, every time that you listen to the radio, a whole bunch of other people are telling you what they think will make you happy. And what you need to do to be happy. And I think it's also true that all of us, myself included, at one time or another have fallen for one of those things. That we've said, ooh, that will make me happy. And we've gone for it. And so uh, we actually live in a nation that was founded largely as a social experiment in the pursuit of happiness. It's written into our Declaration of Independence. Right? You've heard this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life guaranteed, liberty guaranteed, happiness. You are free to pursue it. And we're a nation that has for a few hundred years kind of undertaken this experiment in the pursuit of happiness, trying to discover what will make us happy. Uh, Psychology Today did an interview and all kinds of Documentaries have been produced on this and experiments have been done. There's an 84 year study uh, that follows a a large group of young men and and trying to determine what makes them happy. And it's been going on for 84 years and they're just now getting the results, following kids all the way through their lives. Uh, Psychology Today did a a questionnaire, 52,000 Americans, and asked, How do you view happiness? What makes you happy? And the answers are about as predictable as Taylor Swift writing another breakup song. All right, like you could probably guess what these are going to be. If I could own a home, sex, money, receiving recognition, being in love, moonshine, all kinds of things that people say, this will make me happy. And when I was a kid, I'll be honest with you, like we didn't really eat out that often growing up. But every once in a while, my, my parents would splurge and take us to the shrine of the golden arches. And when we got there, we could each order, not just a cheeseburger and fries, we could actually order a whole thing. It all came together with a toy and everything, right? And you know what this is. McDonald's decided in a stroke of marketing genius in 1979 that they would actually come up with something called the Happy Meal. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. They're not selling you fries and a burger. They're selling you happiness. There it is. Smiley face right? And my parents would try to convince us to buy something else, and, and the chant would come up from us kids, happy meal, happy meal, happy meal. And people all over the restaurant would strain their necks to see what kind of tight-fisted, penny-pinching parents would deny their children the meal of great joy. And so they would relent, and they'd get us the happy meal, and we'd be happy for about 10 minutes. And then, you know what, as I've grown into adulthood, I've never looked back at that and went back to my parents and said, Mom and Dad, thank you so much. You've given me such a great life. And it all started when I was eight years old at McDonald's with the Happy Meal. I never, I've never said that. And the truth is, I think the uh, Happy Meal brings a lot of joy to Ronald McDonald, more than anybody. And as we get older, here's the reality, we still chase Happy Meals. They just get a lot bigger and a lot more expensive. We're still chasing that. We spend a lot of time chasing happiness in different sizes and in different shaped packages only to realize once we get it, it doesn't actually deliver what we thought it would. And see, here's what I've come to discover. And maybe you'll recognize, man, this is true. Happiness is more about a who than a what. Happiness is more about a who than a what. And isn't that the truth? This is one of the earliest lessons that we learn in life. We learned it in the backyard when we were playing with a bunch of who's. And if we had the right group of who's and we were hanging out in the backyard, it didn't really matter what we had. And then you go to school and and you find your group of who's and it doesn't really matter what you have. And you go to junior high and middle school, uh, you go to high school, and as long as you've got the right group of who's, it doesn't really matter what you have because you found the who's. And, And if happiness is about a what, then we could just go out and get our happy what whatever that is, and we could just have that and it would make us happy. And relationships wouldn't really matter. But at the end of an 84-year study on happiness, their only conclusion, the only thing that made people happy wasn't any of their what's. The discovery after 84 years was that it was the who's that made all the difference. That's what makes people happy. And, and we know this. A happy what always leads to a happy what's next. Isn't that the truth? You were just as excited when you got your old phone as you were when you got your new phone. But once it became your old phone, you weren't quite as excited about it anymore. Same thing with your new car or your job. And if an again what deflates your happiness, then you weren't weren't really all that happy to begin with. You had a temporary happiness fix, but you didn't find true happiness. And you know this is true based on several things in your own life. When you think about this, some of you have traveled overseas. Uh, Maybe you've uh, served in other parts of the world, maybe in other parts of the United States on missions trips where it seemed like people were living in extreme poverty. In fact, we have a team of 14 people uh, on a trip to Dominican Republic right now. They left yesterday. And so we're praying for them and cheering them on. And I know what will happen when some of them come back. Same thing that's happened to some of you when you've returned from other countries. And you recognize they have so much happiness and they have so little. And how is it that they have next to nothing and yet they seem to be filled with so much joy they seem to be so happy they seem to be so content and it's because happiness is more of a who than a what that's why parents are never happier than their most unhappy child whatever is the most unhappy child on any given day sets the lid for happiness that day same thing with your spouse you're never more happy than your spouse is happy because at the end of the day happiness is tied to a who not a what And probably the most convincing argument for all of this is that if we look back someday on our, you know, at the end of your life, your biggest regrets are relational, not possessional. Right? At the end of our life, nobody tries to make things right with a what. Nobody's on their deathbed and says, oh man, someone bring me my shoes. I just want one more minute with my shoes. Somebody take me to my car. I just want to sit in my car one last time. No one does that. What we say is like, uh, we think about people, the who's, that's what's most important. And so if you really stop and think about it, there is one thing that all happy people have in common. And if you think about people in your life who you're like, man, that's somebody, if, if I was to think about somebody in my life who is truly, I mean, I would say they're truly happy. What is it that they have in common? And I think all people in our lives that we would go, man, they're truly happy. I think they all have one thing in common, peace. The people that you know that you would describe as happy, they have peace. Specifically, I would say this. Happy people are at peace. Happy people are just at peace. They're content. You, you look at them and their, their life isn't surrounded by all kinds of drama that they thrive on. You, you look at them and you're just like, man, they're just content. And what, what we describe in our modern era as happiness Scriptures really just describe it as peace, contentment. Specifically, happy people are at peace with themselves. Happy people are at peace with themselves. They, they may have a lot or they may have a little. They may be rich. They may be poor. They may be an introvert. They may be an extrovert. They might be single. They might be married. They might be divorced. But they're just comfortable in their own skin, they're just content. They're fine with themselves. They're not in conflict with themselves. They're not warring with themselves. They're not trying to pretend to be something that they're not. Uh, they're not concerned that other people see them in any certain light. They're just at peace with themselves. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Doesn't that sound happy? Well, I have a, uh, a coach that helps me uh, throughout the year, and one of the sayings that he says all the time that's just been so helpful for me is this. I've got nothing to prove, nobody to impress. I've got nothing to prove, nobody to impress. There's a lot of peace to be found in that statement. And what we find is that happy people are at peace with themselves. And happy people are at peace with others. Happy people tend to be at peace with other people. They're not angry with everybody. They're not angry even when they've been mistreated. They're able to forgive. They're not bitter. And you hear their story and you think, how could you not be bitter? How have you been able to forgive? How are you able to move past? There's been some things in your life that you didn't choose, but things that happened to you, that that's difficult to move past, but you seem to be okay. And these are people who just decided, I'm going to forgive. Uh, my, my past has impacted me, but it's not going to define my future. And no matter what, I, I'm going to move forward. And I've, I've chosen that whatever grace God has given me, I'm going to give to others. I'm going to wipe the slate clean. I'm gonna move forward. And they don't try to live out uh, some story. They don't try to get back and get revenge and get paid back or reclaim something that they feel they lost. Happy people have figured out how to be at peace with others. And specifically, happy people know how to confess when they've done something wrong. They're at peace with others. Happy people know how to forgive other people and move past. And wipe the slate clean. Happy people have learned how to be generous with what God's given them. Happy people know how to celebrate the success of others. Happy people uh, understand their appropriate position in the universe in relation to God. God's God and I'm not. They're just, they're at peace with themselves. They're at peace with others. And and ultimately, happy people are at peace with God. God. Here's what you notice, even if it's not the view of God that you share, they believe there is something bigger than this life. There's more to this life than this life. They believe there's a divine sense of purpose. And so they simply have a confidence in God that allows them to walk through the storms that this life throws at them. And you look at their life and you're like, man, how did you make it through that? This happened or that happened. And and it's just one of these things you go, "Eh, doesn't that shake your faith? And there's people that go through incredibly difficult circumstances, but their faith in God isn't shaken. They're at peace with God. And he, he, he allows them to walk through this stuff in this world. Their confidence in God allows them to walk through this, the things that are going on in this world that would otherwise steal peace and joy. But they seem to be happy because they're at peace with God. And so basically happy people are at peace with themselves and with others and with God. And if that's true, In in our own experience tells us this, then this is incredibly critical to understand. Anything that undermines your peace undermines your happiness. Think about that. If happy people are at peace with God and others and themselves, then any decision that you and I make that undermines our peace is actually undermining our happiness. Anything that undermines your peace with yourself, anything that undermines peace with others, I do something and it causes Uh, conflict between me and someone else. Anything that undermines my peace with God is actually undermining my own happiness. Anytime you're about to say something, you're about to do something, you're about to buy something, you're about to go somewhere, and you think that has the potential to undermine my sense of peace, then what you are doing is you are ultimately undermining your own sense of happiness. And every single one of us can think back to a moment in our life or a decision that we made where the result of that decision undermined our peace with ourselves or it undermined our peace with somebody else or it undermined our peace with God. And as a result, it led to us becoming unhappy. Our own experience tells us that. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if each of us could stand up here and share our biggest regret, we would each share a time where a decision that we made ultimately Undermined our peace with God or our peace with someone else or our peace with ourselves. Okay, so why are we talking about this in church? Well, specifically because God created you with the capacity for happiness. That's wild to think about. God created you to live at peace with him and with others and with yourself. In fact, Jesus had this incredible conversation where he was once asked uh, this question, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And for you and I, when we think about laws or commandments, we don't often, like, put that with happiness. But the way that Jesus answers this question is so profound that it applies to this topic today. Here it is. It's found in Matthew. Jesus says this, teacher, uh, he's asked this question, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you would think Jesus would say something like this. Okay, the greatest commandment is this. You better always, or you better never, or thou shalt, or thou shalt not. And you would think it would have something to do with, you know, greed or or anger or jealousy or sex or power. You would think it would be like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, right? Uh, There's so many good things he could have chosen from. But here's what Jesus says, the most important thing, the thing that undermines everything else, the thing that's, that is the foundation for everything else that, that, that uh, everything is built on is love. This is the greatest commandment. Specifically, since God loves you so much, you should love God back. Since God first loved you, you should love him. The most important thing you could do is love God. And since God is wanting to make peace with you, you should make peace with God. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He brings the other two components of happiness into the discussion. He says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Uh, I cannot overestimate how profoundly Jesus answers this question because he's essentially saying that what is most important is for you to be at peace with God and at peace with others and at peace with yourself. Well, Jesus, but what's most important? Well, peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself. That almost sounds like you want us to be happy. Jesus goes, I do. I do. (laughs) If you've never heard that before, I want you to hear it right here at Westbridge Church this morning, okay? God is not against your happiness. And sometimes we get that. In the culture that we live in, it often communicates. And unfortunately, often unintentionally, the church kind of confirms that uh, Jesus is against your happiness. That somewhere along the way, the message that came to some of us was, you have to choose between following Jesus and being happy. And some, some people just decide to fall on one spectrum or the other. Either I'm not going to follow Jesus or I'm just going to follow Jesus, but I'm going to be unhappy. I've met some followers of Jesus who look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. They're so sour all the time. It's like you don't have to choose between the two. When you're growing up, uh, maybe the way God was presented or maybe the way that the church presented was that, okay, you can either be a good religious person or you can be happy. Whatever religion you grew up in, you can either be a good follower of Jesus or be happy. You can either be a good whatever religion you're a part of, or you could be happy. And here's what I know about you, because I know it's true about me. We will not stay in unhappy circumstances very long without a very good reason. And so because at the end of the day, I want to be happy and you want to be happy. And for some of you, that's why you left church, because unintentionally the message that you received was, well, i got to choose between following Jesus and being happy. And I don't want to be unhappy, so I would rather be happy and not follow Jesus than follow Jesus and be unhappy. And what we discover from Jesus is that God is not standing in the way of your happiness. God actually created you with the capacity for happiness and, in fact, paves the way for your happiness, which means to resist the way of God is actually to resist your own happiness. Because God created the universe. God understands how the world works. God created you, your capacity to live and breathe and and move and enjoy life. And so if we go against the one who created life and the one who created you and go, no, I got this. I'm going to do it my own way. We ultimately undermine our own sense of peace, which makes us unhappy. It's just really comes down to this. Peace with God paves the way to peace with others. Uh, peace with ourselves, and equips us to make peace with others. In other words, when I'm at peace with God, when I recognize, man, the grace God has given me, I, God, I'm at peace, with, I'm in right standing with God because of Jesus. It, it, it paves the way for me to make peace with myself. When I understand all that God's forgiven me of, it, it's, it, it makes it easy for me to begin to forgive myself for the things I know I've done. And then it equips me to be able to forgive others to show that same grace to others. I can't withhold grace from others when God has given grace to me. And so uh, peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves. It equips us to make peace with others. And this is why God urges us not to sin. Now, maybe you're checking out church for the first time or maybe it's been a really long time or maybe you're watching online and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, there it is. There's the sin word. I knew it. Knew it was coming. But I know sin can be a big, bad, churchy word. But the truth is, regardless of how you define sin, let's use a very broad definition here. Uh, Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you believe in a different set of beliefs or uh, you're just trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus and what you believe about God and church and faith and all this kind of stuff, the truth is, sin is simply this, missing the mark of God's way of living. Missing the mark. Now, here's the reality. There are a lot of Bible verses that describe how we miss the mark. I don't even need to read any of them to you. And here's why. You haven't even kept your own standards, let alone God's. And I haven't even kept my own standards, let alone God's. Like there were things that I said I would never do, did them. There were things I said, okay, I'm going to do this, didn't do them. There were standards I set for myself that weren't even based on God's way of living. There were just standards I set for myself that I didn't even keep for myself, let alone God's standards. And my guess is that your reality is the same way, that every one of us as human beings said, here's some things that I know I don't want to do that I've done. Here's some things that I want to do that I haven't done. I've missed the mark of my own standards, let alone God's standards. And here's what that, the, the scriptures just call that sin. So whatever, whatever kind of word picture you have of sin in your, in your mind, sin is just simply missing the mark of God's standard, missing the mark of God's way of living, which means all of us have sinned. Welcome to the club. Great to have you. But here's what sin does. Sin always separates. Sin always divides. It separates, separates, separates. Specifically, sin separates us from God, ourselves, and others. So sin comes into relationships and it divides. Sin separates you from others. If you think about your last relational conflict where you were angry at somebody and they were angry at you, somebody sinned somebody missed the mark of God's way of living. And so both people probably thought that the other person sinned. That's not my fault. Well, it's not my fault. Well, it might be both of your faults, but it's not none of your faults. That's what sin does. It's missing the mark of God's way of living and it causes separation. It causes conflict. Somebody did something you don't think they should have done. Somebody didn't do something that you thought they should have done. Or they showed up this much and you met them halfway but it just didn't work out. And it's all because of sin, missing the mark of God's way of living. Uh, how about this? You can define sin any way you want to, but when you bring sin into relationships, it starts to erode the relationship. And when your relationship with others starts to erode, it erodes your happiness. Sin also separates us from God, and here's why. When you sin against someone else, you're actually sinning against someone God loves and someone God created, and you can't be okay with God and be not okay with, God, uh, with the people that God created that's like saying this if you mistreat my kids you and I aren't going to have a good relationship like hey I know that was your son but we're good right no we're not good if you mistreat my son if you mistreat my daughter then you and I probably won't have a very good relationship why because those are my kids you can't be okay with me and mistreat the people that I love and this is the same thing with God. It's at the core of the teachings of Jesus and his followers. When you mistreat someone else, you are out of sorts with God. You're not just out of sorts with that person. You're out of sorts with God because that person is somebody created in the image of God. Sin isn't just against someone else. It's, it's against God because God really loves the person that you're in conflict with. And so when your sin creeps into a relationship with someone else, that sin has also crept into your relationship with God. And and when that happens, you also it separates you from yourself. And here's the language that we use for that. We could all fill in this blank. I just can't live with myself. I I can't face myself in the mirror. I don't want to think about what I've done. And here's what we all know to be true. You can actually have a bad relationship with yourself. It's why there's all kinds of books that talk about self-perception and self-awareness and self-esteem. You can have a bad relationship with yourself. You can be separated from yourself. I believe one thing, but I behave another way. And that means I'm, I'm not integrated. I'm actually disintegrating when I believe one thing, but I behave another way. And what that does is it separates me from me. It causes conflict internally. And sin, however you define it, creeps into our relationships with others. It uh, affects your relationship with God. And ultimately, it affects your peace with yourself. In fact, one of the reasons is uh, maybe for some of you it's been so long since you've been to church is because you believed one way and then you behaved another way. And the truth is your options were to realign your behavior with what you claim to believe or change what you believe so that you could just live how you want to. Those are your options. And for some of you, you kind of wanted to make sure that I, when I'm in church, it's like it reminds me that I'm not living the way that I want the way that I profess to believe. And so it's easier to just not go to church, or it's easier to not listen to these talks. It's easier to not put myself in that environment. But as long as you don't have peace, you won't be happy, no matter what you wear, no matter what you drive, no matter where you live. And we all already knew that. This is just a reminder. We, we keep sinning, though, because sin makes a promise that sin can't keep. Specifically, sin makes a happiness promise that it can't deliver. Sin promises, so we get caught up in the emotion of a moment and we chase uh, uh, something down some rabbit trail and we, uh, we end up where that leads and it's sin and it separates and undermines our happiness. But we thought it would be the thing that would bring us happiness and ultimately it undermines us. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, would write these words and he's writing to followers of Jesus in the first century and helping them understand this dynamic. And here's what he writes. He says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. I have a desire. I think that'll make me happy. I think I'm going to go for it. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And, And think of the imagery here. Sin gives birth to sinful actions. When sin is born, when sin is first conceived, it's like a little baby sin, right? Just a cute little sin carried around like a baby. It's in the car seat in the back of the minivan. And then what happens? That sin grows up and it becomes bigger than you and it causes destruction and every single one of us has experienced this. You allowed a baby sin into a relationship, and now that relationship is dead. You allowed a baby sin into some area of your life, and you're like, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I think it'll bring me happiness. And you chase it down that path, and eventually it made you unhappy. The thing that you thought would make you happy made you unhappy. Why? Because it undermined peace with God, peace with others, peace with yourself. And it actually made you unhappy. Because ultimately, happiness is tied to a who, not a what. And happy people are at peace with themselves and with others and with God. And so James says, look, temptation comes from our own desires. And then he continues and he says, do not be misled. It's misleading to think that the thing that will bring me happiness actually caused me to be unhappy. He says, don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. What's interesting about this verse, I've heard this verse quoted my whole life. Whatever is good and pleasing and perfect, it comes from God. But often it's never tied to these verses about sin and death. But it's all one thought from James. And James understands our tendency to be misled by sin. He understands our tendency to fulfill our own desire in our own way through our own means. And he tells us that is misleading. That will take you down a path you don't want to go. You think it will bring you happiness, but sin makes a happiness promise that it can't deliver. But everything that is good, everything that's pleasing, everything that's perfect, in other words, everything that you think you want that will make you happy, it comes from your heavenly Father. So it stands to reason that the way to be happy is to be at peace with your heavenly Father. And when you are at peace with your heavenly father, it helps you to be at peace with yourself. And it it equips you to make peace with others. And that's what makes you happy. And oh, by the way, he already chose you and gave you birth into a new life and made you a new creation. And he doesn't change. That's who he is. His shadow doesn't shift based on which direction the sun is pointing. He's immovable and unchanging in that regard. So if he has already decided to give you birth into his family and we are his prized creation, what makes you think you won't find Happiness in Him. That's why we do water baptism. In a few weeks, we have water baptism. We'll do it right here in all of our services on March 5th. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you haven't made the decision to be baptized in water, take advantage of this opportunity. And here's what it is. we uh, There's nothing like magical about it, but Jesus was buried and then He rose again. He overcame death. And what He promises to us is exactly this, that we're chosen, that we can be given new life. We can be born into God's family. And so baptism is just a way that we celebrate that. It's a way of saying the the old me gets buried in a watery grave and then I'm rising to new life just like Jesus. And as a result of that, it's a way for me to say, Jesus, because of you, I can be made new. Because of you, I can live a new life. I can have a whole new identity as a part of your family. I can be at peace with you and peace with others and peace with myself. And so I'd encourage you to do that. And what breaks my heart is when I see people chasing happiness in areas that I know won't make them happy. Chasing happiness in areas that simply undermine their peace with God and their peace with others and their peace with themselves. You were born with the capacity for happiness and it is more in your control than you ever imagined. So, since happy people are at peace with themselves and with God and with others, and since sin actually undermines my peace and undermines my happiness, and since you want to be happy, since I want to be happy, you should consider following Jesus. You were created for that. And specifically, you should consider following the way of Jesus each and every day in the way that you live your life. Because following Jesus will make your life better, and it will make you better at life. Because God created the world, He created you, He created how the world works. And so, you should follow the way of Jesus. Happiness is not a what, it's a who. And maybe you've never heard any of this message before. Maybe this is brand new for you. Here's what you need to know, that God sent Jesus into our world to make peace with us. That Jesus came into the world, he became human, he allowed himself to be put to death, his body was laid in a tomb, and according to multiple eyewitness accounts, he rose from the dead. That means there's more to this life than this life, and you and I have been invited to be a part of God's family. And we don't earn our way into it. It's a gift that God has given us, right standing with him. That no matter how many times we've missed the mark and lived life our own way, we can actually be in right standing with God through Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, we're going to celebrate communion. But before we do that, if you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, and you want to do that, I would encourage you to just agree with this prayer. Jesus, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I thank you that you never walk away from me. And God, I pray, adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me and to put my trust in you and to follow your way of living as best as I know how. To experience peace with you, right standing with you, peace with myself, peace with others. And God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Help me to trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, one of the ways that we celebrate what God has done through Jesus is through communion. And on your way in today, you should have received one of these astronaut communion. And... Uh, If uh, you did not, just lift your hand and we have people here who get one into your hands. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you may just want to observe this. Uh, This is really meant for people who are followers of Jesus. But we don't practice closed communion. Uh, That's between you and God. And so um, this is open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church to participate with us. Uh, Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, uh, we invite you to receive this uh, as as you see fit. And... This is really just a simple thing that is a reminder to us of the sacrifice of Jesus. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time that you receive this, remember that sacrifice. So this reminds us that because of Jesus, we can have right standing with God. And so as we remember the sacrificial love of Jesus through his broken body, let's receive the bread together. And then Jesus took the cup and he passed it to his disciples. He said, this represents my blood, which will be poured out for you. And it's a new covenant between God and humanity. That this is the sacrifice once and for all, putting an end to a sacrificial system and wondering where we stand with God. Now we know where we stand with God, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we're in right standing with him. And Jesus said, this is how you can know that. This is a representation, a reminder of the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so as we remember his love through his spilled blood, let's receive the cup together. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of Jesus. And thank you that it's through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can be at peace with you. And I pray that as we understand our own sin and where we fall short, And we bring that to you, and we're at peace with you, that we'd learn to be at peace with ourselves, that we would be people who extend grace to others. And God, ultimately, that we would follow your way of living, recognizing anything that is good and perfect and pleasing comes from you. So may we trust you and follow you in that way. And we pray this in your name. Amen.